Welcome to the HOSA Speaks Healthcare podcast with host Jake Kelly. Each of us shares an environment with the world around us, whether that be the people, animals, plants, microbes, you name it. Everything that lives and breathes makes up the totality of the environment. Even though we seem to go about our daily lives without interfering with these other classifications of life, we nevertheless are dependent on what those other groups contribute to the environment. For example, microorganisms use the chemical basis of life to provide for the plant and animal species of the earth. These plants and animals then serve as a source of nourishment and energy for humankind as well as happiness in the way of pets. We as humans rely on this energy to provide for our families, our communities, and the globe. But what happens when one of these groups contributes negatively to this global network? What happens when the very systems put in place to provide us with the things that we need to keep going work against us? That is why a global effort is taking place to make sure that this web of connectivity between humans, animals, and the shared environment stays healthy. This is the concept of One Health. Well, hello everyone and welcome to HOSA Speaks Healthcare. I am your host, Jake Kelly, and I am so excited to begin this journey with you uh, down the different roads of healthcare and what they all mean to us. Each week in each episode of this podcast, we'll be diving into various health topics and, and health industries that you need to know about to be successful in the healthcare industry. Aside from these discussions, we'll also be having conversations with some leaders in these fields that we're going to be talking about, as well as some of the leaders in the healthcare industry in general. Now, the goal of this podcast is to expose each and every listener to different ideas, different goals, different career paths, so that you can be successful no matter where you end up in healthcare. We all know that healthcare is such an inspiring career field to go into, and it's a really fulfilling one because we have a purpose, a mission, to make sure that the health of those around us is taken care of no matter what. And it's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. It's this concept of One Health. Now, this concept of One Health is just, to, in layman's terms, if you will, just to make sure that the connectivity between us, the animals of the planet, the environment of the planet, all work together to make sure that each one of those entities is healthy, safe, and thriving no matter what. Now, you may be familiar with this term, One Health, or it may be a brand new term for you. And so, if it's a new term for you, welcome. We're going to talk a lot about it. If you've heard it before, we hope that you're going to learn a little bit more about how this concept came to be and how you can implement this concept of One Health in your everyday lives, whether it's at school, at work, um, in your future career. It's so important that we recognize the connections that we have with the environment, animals around us, the people around us, because that is what contributes to a prominent future in global health. You know, we are all citizens of the globe. And so it's so important we focus on taking care of everything around us because whether we realize it or not, we're all so interconnected. And that's exactly what the topic of One Health engages. 
Now, before we dive in to what One Health is and, and how we can really focus on One Health and, and implement this into our daily lives, let's learn a little bit about how this, this concept came to be. Now, according to the CDC, this concept started back in the 1800s. And really, it started because physicians and other public health officials began looking at the connection between human and animal diseases. You know, at the time, they didn't realize that disease could transfer from a human to or from an animal or, or, you know, vice versa. And so all these different disciplines were, were beginning to look at, at similar you know, symptoms and disease processes. And, and we're starting to wonder, OK, I wonder if there's a connection here and I wonder if we can we can intervene to keep both the animals that we're seeing these diseases occur in, as well as the humans we're seeing these diseases occur in safe and healthy and see if we can help them fight these diseases. So now one of the first pioneers of this this idea of, of connectivity between animal and human health was Dr. Rudolf Virchow. Now Dr. Virchow was a German pathologist and he began looking at links between human and animal diseases in the 19th century. Now, he primarily studied a certain roundworm in pigs and began calling diseases that were transferred from animals to humans zoonosis. Now, that may sound familiar because it's what we know now as a zoonotic disease. Now, Dr. William Osler, who trained with Dr. Virchow, began as the father of veterinary pathology. Now, that's key because, as we've mentioned, one Health really focuses on connecting animals and humans. So with Dr. Osler's focus on veterinary pathology and Dr. Virchow's focus on human pathology, we really can see where this interconnectivity really stemmed from at such an early time. Now, in 1947, the big jump from these 1800s we were just talking about, the Veterinary Public Health Division was founded at the CDC, or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, by a Dr. James Steele. Now, Dr. James Steele uh, was a veterinarian, and he also held a Master's of Public Health degree. And Dr. Steele started this division within the CDC because he was kind of following that legacy that uh, Dr. Virchow and Dr. Osler started in looking at how veterinary medicine and human medicine, osteopathic, allopathic, whatever you want to call it, were connected, and how that connection really affected global health and public health. Now, around 1964, Dr. Calvin Schwab began calling for a collaboration between human and veterinary medicine, and he kind of termed it one medicine. Now, this was a pretty predominant um, moment in time for the One Health movement because it's, it was the first time that someone actually stood up and said, hey, let's start looking at these together. Let's get these two disciplines in the same room, and let's talk about it. Let's figure out what's going on with these diseases and how we can prevent them. Now, a little further down the road in 2004, we actually saw the publishing of what was called the Manhattan Principles. Now, the Manhattan Principles were a set of 12 priorities, that were really focused on combating and preventing um, animal and human health threats. So these principles were, were established 
and really were, were kind of set as benchmarks for, for public health officials to, to kind of a comp, combat these possible threats to human and animal health. In 2008, a strategic framework was developed, and it was called Continuing to One World, One Health, a strategic framework for reducing risks of infectious diseases at the human-animal ecosystems interface. Now, this was published, and it really kind of made One Health a possible global reality, whereas the Manhattan Principles really were focused on the United States and their efforts to, to combat these uh, zoonotic diseases. This, this publishing in 2008 really is what made this One Health idea a global possibility. And it's, and it's a pretty, pretty powerful thing to think about, you know, in 2008, that's not that long ago that we really started to begin thinking about, okay, this may be a global thing. And I think it's important that we recognize how much progress we've made since 2008. And we'll get there uh, later in the episode. Now, after 2008, things kind of started to pick up speed, naturally. In 2009, the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, launched their Emerging Pandemic Threats Program. And this program was really focused on looking for possible threats to global health, uh, both human and animal, and kind of seeing how they could combat that, and really trying to stop it in, in its infancy. And so this program was pretty important in being, being the watchdog, if you will, for possible threats to human health. In 2010, the Stone Mountain meeting took place. And in this meeting, it really lists the steps to move One Health forward. And this was the first time that One Health actually became the key term for this relationship between animals, humans, and the shared environment. You know, Back before, we called it One Medicine, and then we were trying to find a, a good term for, for what this connectivity could be. But we really finally settled on One Health at this Stone Mountain meeting. So in 2011, the first international One Health Congress met. At this Congress, 650 people were present, representing 60 different countries. It was at this meeting that the One Health concept really began to take full form. At this meeting, the attendees really began to see that One Health needed to be a global effort. They really focused on the interdependence between animals, humans, and the environment, and understood, or began to understand at the very least, that this connectivity was key to public health. And ever since that meeting, One Health has been at the forefront of healthcare policy in various countries health ministries, and local agencies and health departments. Whether you realize it or not, One Health has really been a part of every, almost every healthcare campaign that you've seen throughout your life. Whether it was hand washing or, or vaccine campaigns, whatever it is, One Health plays a part. But how is that? Well, before we can answer that question, we need to know how One Health is defined currently. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, One Health is a collaborative, multi-sectoral, and transdisciplinary approach working at the local, regional, national, and global levels with the goal of achieving optimal health outcomes, recognizing the interconnection between people, animals, plants, and their shared environment. But why is this important? 
Why is this focus on a shared environment so important to our health as humans? Well, it goes back to that zoonosis or zoonotic diseases that we talked about in our brief little history of One Health. As the population of the world grows, it is so important to look at the relationships between humans, livestock, and pets. This is because close contact is often how diseases spread between humans and animals and vice versa. And as the population grows, we of course have to move out and move into these habitats of some of these animals. But aside from us moving out and into different animals' natural habitats, there's another factor that we need to consider here, and that's climate change. Recently, climate changes have shifted some natural habitats, and that's created more opportunities for diseases to transfer between animals and humans. And after all, that's exactly what One Health was created to combat. And so it's really a human element here that, that One Health is, is both trying to protect, but it's kind of bringing awareness to our shortcoming as, as humans. But aside from this, another human element that's really affecting One Health and really, really bringing to the forefront the reason that we need this concept so much is, again, because populations are increasing, trade and travel are also increasing. And this increases the probability of transmission across borders. A prime example of this is actually COVID-19. We saw this disease become a pandemic because it was allowed to cross borders. And allowed is not the right word necessarily, because there were a lot of factors going into that, right? But at the end of the day, this disease became a global pandemic because of this transmission between borders and across borders. And so then again, this is why this One Health model is so important on a global scale. Not just a country by country or, or a state by state, county by county, city by city, on a global level. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the history of One Health, and we've kind of focused on what One Health is in general, in a nutshell, if you will and why it's so important on the global level. Now, let's look at different topics in One Health and, and kind of how they connect with each other and really connect with this concept that we've been talking about this whole time. And we also hope that as we talk about these concepts and One Health topics, that you'll begin to see some different areas in your own communities where you can make a difference and contribution to One Health in your hometown. Now, some common One Health topics that, that we see every day are the zoonotic diseases. Now, we've kind of mentioned this throughout this episode, but these zoonotic diseases are kind of the foundation of what One Health was all about at its inception. Now, this concept has definitely grown outside of the zoonotic disease realm since its founding, but I think it's important to touch on these zoonotic diseases and why they're so important. Now, just to give you some examples of common zoonotic diseases, we've got rabies, salmonella, West Nile virus, Q fever, Ebola, anthrax, Lyme disease, and ringworm. All of these diseases originated in animals and were transferred to humans, making them zoonotic. Now, 
This I kind of found interesting in my research is that some animals actually show the same susceptibility as humans to some diseases, such as birds will usually die of West Nile virus first and kind of warn humans in the area if that infection is occurring. So then again, this one health concept, it's really shown us that if we focus on how these diseases affect animals, it can give us warning signs to, to how it's going to affect a human, or we can catch it before it even gets there. So that's a pretty neat focus on these zoonotic diseases. Now, some of the other topics that we see are antimicrobial resistance, or superbugs that we've all probably heard about, environmental contamination, food safety and food security, and vector-borne diseases. Now, this approach, and, and really in all these topics, includes experts in human, animal, and environmental health to really tackle these public health problems. So that's really how One Health is implemented. We get experts in all these different fields to come together and communicate so that each field is, is kind of educated by the other as to what they should look for in terms of diseases, in terms of processes. But instead of just looking for certain things, these experts also are able to, to put in preventative strategies to help keep us from ever getting to a dangerous level and a dangerous compromise of this One Health model. Now, some of the most fascinating topics in One Health, for me at least when I was doing my research, was food safety and food security. Now, when I hear the term One Health, and we, we've, we've talked about it multiple times, that One Health is the connectivity between animals and humans, food never really came to mind. But as I was researching this, it, it just makes sense, right? I mean, no, no matter where we are, our food comes from you know the earth, the environment, animals, plants, whatever it may be. But I never really thought about how it's our job to make sure that those, those food resources in the environment that, that produces that food stay safe. Now, if you're not familiar with the term food security, according to USAID, food security means having at all times both physical and economic access to sufficient food to meet dietary needs for a productive and healthy life. Now, if you really think about it, that really fits in to One Health. Mainly that, that sufficient food to meet dietary needs for a healthy life, right? I mean, as, I, as I, we just mentioned, our food and, and our nourishment, we, we've, we've mentioned from the very beginning, comes from this environment. And since we are so connected with this environment, it makes sense that our health is directly related to the health of the environment that produces our food. I mean, it just, it just all begins to make sense. But even more so than the safety of food, I think food security is a key part of One Health. Now, according to an article on healthaffairs.org, and you can find the link to this article uh, in the episode description, uh, there have been studies that have shown that households that include children that are, are pretty food insecure, meaning that they don't really have access to healthy, nutritious foods, um, show that there's, they're at an increased risk of birth defects, anemia, 
being hospitalized, even increased cases of depression, worsening oral health, just, just worsening general health overall. And so I think that really goes to show just how crucial this just simple access to nutritious, healthy foods, just how important that is for our health. And, you know, I mentioned the word simple there, and food security is definitely not a simple uh, challenge or, or a simple topic to try to, to try to fix. And so I think that's, that's why this food security has really been kind of a topic of interest for, for some developed countries, um, even, even underdeveloped countries, to kind of focus on, to try and to improve the health of their citizens, because they see that this, this component is so crucial to this One Health model in making sure that citizens are healthy. Because, I mean, we all know that, that we should eat healthy, we should exercise, you know, to maintain a, a healthier body and, and a healthier life. For some of us, that, that may be a little easier than others, just because we have access to that food. But not everybody has the same access or the same security in their food. And so that's a great way that you can get involved with One Health and, and really start to kind of show this concept in your own communities and in your own hometowns, whether that be your school, uh, your HOSA chapter, where, wherever it may be, there are some ways to kind of implement this One Health model on your own in your own communities. And, and I think that's, that's a great transition into our next part of the podcast. What can you do to show your communities, you know, in, in your areas that One Health is a, is a key part of the health of your community? And what can you do to increase that involvement and that focus on this concept? You know, starting with uh, food security, a great way to increase food security in your own communities is to start community gardens, whether that's, again, at your school, within your HOSA chapter, you know, specifically HOSA members, you can you could partner with, with other CTSOs or other, other um, career tech programs in your schools to provide a community garden for, for those students in your school who may not have access to nutritious foods at home. Um, you know, you can, again, start a, a community garden, you know, around, your, around the center of your town or on the outskirts if, if it works better for you to provide a, an opportunity and just a route for people to go and get some, some locally grown, fresh, nutritious food. You know, another great way is to support local agriculture, you know, by, by buying these local produce at uh, different farmers markets or, st or something like that, not only are you having access to, to healthier foods, but you're also putting, putting money back into your community and back into the agriculture economy within your community. Now, you may be saying, well, Jake, I, I live in a city. We, you know, we don't really have you know, a local farmers market maybe nearby or, or you know, the, the nearest piece of land to grow crops is, is 50 miles away totally understand that. And that's, again, why these community gardens or other, other ways to just provide access in a smaller form can be a great way to increase food security in your area. Now, what about antimicrobial resistance? You know, that's another key part of One Health that is really 
kind of come into the limelight here in the in the last couple of years is we're seeing these these microbes start to become more resistant to our typical forms of treatment. Now I could go way in depth in this as I my major is in microbiology, but I'll spare you that. We may do a video or a, or a podcast on that later. But the best way that you yourself can fight anti antimicrobial resistance is to simply take antibiotics as they're prescribed to you. That means taking the full amount, full dose, do not skip a dose at all, and ensure that you finish that regimen so you're not building up uh, the, these really strong bacteria that can go on and, and, and spread to other folks um, who, who may be more susceptible to these stronger, um, these stronger forms of these microbes. Um, and simply don't save your antibiotics. Now, your antibiotic is really specific to the infection, and it's not really safe to take over any take any leftover medication. So, you know, the best way to combat saving medication is to make sure to take all those antibiotics. How about these zoonotic diseases that we've talked about all throughout this episode? What are some ways that you can can get involved to to help stop the spread of zoonotic diseases in your communities. Now, according to the CDC, pets themselves can be actually really beneficial to our health as humans. You know, it can decrease stress, just being able to cuddle up next to a pet or something like that. So not only can these pets help you, but also you can help your pets stay healthy. So by, you know, scheduling regular veterinary visits, ensuring that they have safe food, clean water, clean bedding, things like that can help make sure that your pet stays happy and healthy. You can also be sure to make sure that you're you're washing your hands after touching, you know, a, a pet that may not be your own, just to make sure that you're not transmitting these germs from a different pet or a different animal uh, to you or to your pet and, and causing them to get sick or something like that. So just be sure to, to, to wash your hands, which we, we've all learned over the past year and a half. That that's a key process in stopping the spread of diseases. So another key way that you can make sure that, that you stay healthy and avoid catching a zoonotic disease is picking the right pet or animal for your household. So the CDC recommends that any households with a child under the age of five shouldn't really have any reptiles as pets. Now, you may be thinking, well, I love a good turtle. Who doesn't, right? But they can sometimes carry some serious illnesses that, that a child's immune system isn't able to fight as readily as a, a older individual's immune system. So just doing a little research before you you pick a pet can also help prevent zoonotic diseases in your household and even in your community. How about environmental contamination? What are some ways that you can help prevent environmental contamination in your communities? Well, a great way that we can decrease the the pollution we see in our environment just in our households is, you know, using a reusable water bottle. It's something as simple as that, not using any plastic or, or a throwaway bottle, something like that, get yourself a nice reusable bottle that you can fill up with some filtered water, you know, whether it's at your school, at your house, or something like that. So this is also your sign to go to the HOSA website, hosa.org, and click Shop HOSA and buy 
a Hosa reusable water bottle. So go do that before this podcast ends. Some more ways you can help prevent um, environmental contamination. You can plant trees and shrubs and other areas uh, that have high erosion um, likeliness to to con- you know kind of combat that that runoff or that erosion and to improve some habitats for for the local animals in your community. You can also organize a neighborhood cleanup. You know get get your neighbors a couple neighbors together and just pick up some trash that you see on the road or, or something like that. You can also turn that into a beautification project where you know you can plant some trees, some flowers. And just kind of spruce up your neighborhood a little bit. Believe it or not, it does have environmental impacts that are very positive. Make sure that you're you're getting rid of uh, your household chemicals or waste in a in a safe and and proper manner to make sure that those chemicals aren't washed into um, into any waterways or anything like that uh, to avoid contamination that way. So there are multiple ways that you can really get involved with the One Health concept and One Health initiative just in your own communities. It just takes a little research. So I encourage each of you to just look up ways to get involved with increasing food security, uh, preventing environmental contamination, increasing food safety in your own houses and in your own communities, helping to prevent zoonotic diseases and vector-borne diseases and things like that. As long as you can do some research and, and find a little a little project for yourself, for your family, for your community, you may really see a big difference in your community. Because just like in the One Health concept that we are connected to animals and we're connected to the environment, and these, these connections are, are like a, a big web all interconnected together, our communities are also connected, and we are connected to those communities. If we can really make an impact in our communities in the name of One Health, we can really change the world and make sure that the people, the animals, and the environment around us all can stay happy and healthy for a very long time. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this first episode of HOSA Speaks Healthcare We are so excited to get this project going, and it's just been a dream come true for me to be be your host for this podcast. Now, each episode is going to be a little different each week. Uh, As we mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be talking about some different topics in healthcare and in the healthcare industry, as well as some people in these healthcare industries um, that, that really focus on a lot of these topics that we're going to be talking about. But of course, we want to talk about something that you are passionate about. So if you have a topic that you'd like to hear us talk more about so you can learn about it, you can share it with your friends, shoot me an email at jake.kelly at hosa.org. That's J-A-K-E dot K-E-L-L-E-Y at H-O-S-A dot O-R-G. And let me know what topic you'd like for me to talk about on the next episode of the podcast. I can guarantee I'm not an expert on everything, but I will promise you that I will do everything in my power to find as much information as I can so I can make sure that you guys are as informed as you can be um, on any topic that you wish. These episodes will be running every two weeks, and we hope you'll be able to join us for each and every episode. Be sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast, and make sure you turn on notifications so that you know when the next episode drops. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time on the next episode of HOSA Speaks Healthcare. 
HOSA is a global student-led organization recognized by the U.S. Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services and several federal and state agencies. HOSA's mission is to empower HOSA future health professionals to become leaders in the global health community through education, collaboration, and experience. HOSA actively promotes career opportunities in the health industry and to enhance the delivery of quality health care to all people. For more information on HOSA and how you can get involved, please visit HOSA.org. HOSA Speaks Healthcare podcast is a copyrighted production of HOSA. Future health professionals.